Well, hello, kindred. Uh, so as we approach Easter and the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, uh, we're looking at some of the other stories of resurrection that we can find in Scripture. And the two we have chosen are from the time when Jesus walked the earth. Uh, but like Zach had mentioned last week, there are these echoes or these foreshadows of the work that Jesus would accomplish all throughout the Bible. And so we can look back and see stories of resurrection in the Old Testament. And while they are a bit bizarre and ambiguous, uh, the mysterious and miraculous ability of these Old Testament prophets, it's signaling something. It signals to us that even then, God held power over death. And then we'll see these stories where the disciples are able to access this resurrection power even after Jesus has left earth. And one of my favorites of those can be found in Acts 20. It's when Paul, this church planner, is preaching, and this guy is sitting in the window, and he just, Paul is going like on and on and on, and this guy falls asleep, and then falls back out the window, <laughs> down three feet to his death, and so Paul literally bores this guy to death, and I think it's just hilarious that it's in scripture. So let that just be like little lesson the next time you find yourself like dozing off uh, in church. But tonight's story is a shadow or it's really this glimpse of what's to come. But we have to remember that we read this story in light of knowing what's about to happen at Easter, knowing what happens on Resurrection Sunday. But for those who were living it, they didn't have the evidence of the empty tomb yet. And so our story is found in the book of John. It's in chapter 11, and it starts like this. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord, on Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. And so the two sisters send a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So Lazarus isn't a stranger. He's not just some random guy from like a neighboring town that has heard about what Jesus is able to do, which makes this a little bit different than the story we looked at last week, because Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. They knew each other. They had some shared history together. And we find out here that Lazarus is the brother to Mary and Martha, these two women that Jesus has also come to know very well. And so while these three siblings, they're not a part of like the infamous 12, they are absolutely disciples and followers and students of Jesus. A few chapters before this, we actually see Mary. She puts herself at the feet of Jesus to learn from him, to take in his teaching. And we see Jesus actually commend her for this, that she assumes the role of his student. And so this family, they, they follow Jesus closely. They're a part of his inner circle. And these two women, these sisters, are absolutely women of faith. So Lazarus becomes terminally ill. Right, so medicine isn't working, and doctors couldn't cure him. And so these two sisters, they know that if they don't do anything, they are likely going to lose him. And so desperate, they call on their friend, Jesus. But what was interesting, and as I went through this story again, I noticed that they didn't explicitly ask Jesus to come to Bethany. They just say, Lord, your friend is very sick. 
And so this is likely what missiologists and intercultural studies would call high context communication, which sometimes we can miss because we live in the West where we prefer low context communication. So the meaning of their message to Jesus, it's implied. They're not explicitly spelling out this formal request. And so this high context communication, it requires you to read between the lines. This is extremely common in Eastern cultures and countries. And so they're relying on this shared understanding, this shared context. So they would have known, right? They would have known that Jesus will know what we're saying if we say, Lord, your friend is very sick. So Mary and Martha, they have seen Jesus heal people up close. And so they know he's able to. So this isn't a matter of if he can, but they're wondering if he will. Is he going to? And I think this is a familiar scene for many of us. Right? Some of us have sent messages just like this one to Jesus, asking for his help. Right? After we get that dreaded phone call, it's like, hey, it's, pro- it's probably time you, you book a flight. Right? You get the text message from the hospital lobby. Right? Things are taking a turn for the worse. So Mary and Martha, they send a message to Jesus, the kind of message that many of us have prayed, going, Jesus, we don't know how much longer we have, and we really don't know who else to call, and so we need you. We need you to come and make this better. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And so when Jesus hears the news, he assures the messenger and then his disciples that are with him that Lazarus wouldn't die. And even though he loves Lazarus and his sisters, he stays where he is for two days and he doesn't immediately go to visit them. Now that sounds a bit strange, because if you got wind that your good friend was on their deathbed, you might want to go visit them, right? You might act with some urgency. You might want to go say your goodbyes, or at least be there for the family. You might want to like bring a casserole or some flowers. You would want to do something. And so it it sounds contradictory that Jesus would say, well, I love Lazarus and his sisters, but not enough to go comfort them. I love you, but I'm not going to rush over to you. I'm going to stay here instead. And so at first glance, it makes Jesus sound indifferent to what this family is going through. And it maybe even makes him sound cold-hearted. But that's not who Jesus is. And so what's going on then? Well, a couple things could be happening. It's possible that by the time the messenger got to Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. And Jesus knew that. Because then we see him say this in verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And he uses the same phrase that we saw him use last week, if you were here, in the story of Jairus and his daughter, when he says, the child is not dead, but asleep. And so when the disciples hear this, they think he literally means asleep and that maybe they're not going to make this trek to Bethany, right? Because Lazarus is on the mend. He's sleeping, he's resting, he's getting better. And it was also extremely dangerous in Judea at this point for Jesus and his friends. 
After this scene, the next time he will make this journey to this part of town, Jesus will be arrested and he will be executed. And so it was hostile for them to make this journey. But this isn't what Jesus means. He actually does in fact mean that Lazarus is no longer alive. And then he has to say it really bluntly to the disciples who aren't tracking. So in verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. So come, let's go see him. So it's at this point we can infer that Jesus, right, he has made up his mind about what's going to happen next. So by saying, right, that Lazarus was sleeping when he was in fact dead, meant that Jesus saw the state Lazarus was in as temporary. Right? Jesus could foresee something that nobody else could at this point. And so they make the trip to Bethany, and then here's what happens. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the other people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And I love the picture that this scene is painting for us because it tells us so much about these two sisters, right? So first, Martha. I picture her like the wise and faithful and responsible older sister, right? That has to stay strong for her family. She feels like she has to keep it together, right? Don't fall apart, say the right thing. She is hosting all of these people who have come to mourn with them. And when she knows that Jesus has arrived, she steps outside to have a private conversation with Jesus. And I might be taking a little bit of liberty here with this, but I believe that it's as if she is saying to Jesus, she's being honest. She says, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But then she does the thing that a lot of us do when we're faced with pain or hardship or something difficult is we try to find the silver lining, right? We try to say the thing that will make us feel better or someone else feel better. So then she says, but, but Jesus, you're here now. You're here now and you have this special access to God and he'll give you whatever you want and so we're gonna be okay. Like you should have been here, but we're gonna be okay. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And so she thinks that Jesus is being figurative, that he's speaking in strictly spiritual terms. She thinks Jesus is talking about heaven, about the afterlife. She doesn't understand that he's talking about this life, about now, like here on earth. Martha couldn't see an alternative ending, an alternate ending to this tragedy. And see, Martha did what a lot of us do when the things that Jesus says sound impossible or insane. We figure, well, I guess this could be true, for someone else, but not for me. Right? See, Martha likely knew about Jairus' daughter that Jesus brought back. And she likely knew about the widow's son that Jesus brought back. But here and now she's thinking, oh, now you're talking about heaven. This is different. Right? Surely there's no way you could bring Lazarus back to life. 
Or maybe you, you've resuscitated people, but Lazarus has been in a tomb for four days. His body has started to decompose. You can't possibly mean resurrect him. Right? That's impossible. And we do this. We say things. Right? Like, that's great that Jesus healed their thing, their cancer. That's great that they got their rainbow baby. That's great that they got sober. My thing? Our pain, our tragedy, impossible. And maybe some of you are like Martha, and you're better at hiding your pain. You, you shove it down, you put on a strong face, you say all of the right, respectful, politically correct things in the face of your grief because you feel like you have to, like you have to keep it all together, even though in your heart you're wondering, why didn't Jesus show up for me? Why didn't he intervene? He should have been here but you don't show it. I'm like Martha. I am the older sister. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're more like her sister Mary. Here's what happens for her. Then she, Martha, turned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. And so Mary immediately went out to him. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. So Mary loses all of her reserve. She throws composure out the window. She is the younger sister who doesn't seem to care as much about keeping up appearances. But she's emotional and she's passionate and she's unafraid to show it. So the Hebrew word used to describe Mary's weeping here, it translates a loud, mournful cry. And so she is beside herself with grief she shamelessly throws herself at the feet of Jesus in front of all of these other people. And then between her sobs, right, and her heaving, she is wailing at Jesus, like, why didn't you show up? You were supposed to save Lazarus. You were supposed to fix this. And Mary, too, in her own way, can't see past what just happened. She is consumed with her pain and her loss, and it moves Jesus. It moves him. All right, this passage, it reads that Jesus was deeply moved and troubled. And so the word for deeply moved, it actually means to snort like a horse. And so if you've ever been around a horse and you've seen them get a little agitated and frustrated, right, you can picture this, this snorting. And so the author John is trying to tell us that Jesus is angry. He is visibly agitated at what's going on. And the word for troubled is terasso. It means to be stirred up. It's a word that you would use to describe a really stormy sea. And so Jesus is not just sad. He's not just sympathetic here, right? But he is breathing heavily. He is being worked up over this. This tells us that Jesus is moved by our pain. He is moved by our pain. And this is what I find so profound about the story, is that Jesus knew when he decided to go to Bethany, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
He knew exactly how this story was going to end. He knew what he was going to do for this family, and still, he didn't minimize And he didn't shrug off the sadness and the pain that Mary and Martha were experiencing. He doesn't tell them, like, just suck it up. Don't worry. I'm about to do something crazy. He doesn't do that. Instead, he feels all of their pain. It reminds us of just how human Jesus is, that he feels real emotion like we do. He felt grief and sorrow and loss. He mourned alongside Mary and Martha knowing that he was just about to bring Lazarus back. God in the flesh is moved by our pain, by the things that cause us to suffer. Our, Our huge, powerful, sovereign God weeps with us. If you just imagine that for just a second, does that change at all? How you see Jesus or maybe how you expect him to respond to your pain. It's okay to wonder, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you show up sooner? And even if you don't get a clear answer, if he doesn't make it better the way we want him to, the way we hope he does, he will sit with us and he will cry with us because he knows how much this separation hurts and our hurt, it pains him too. So he is human, and he feels everything we feel, but he's also God. So here's what Jesus does next. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. So now part of the purpose of the stone being in front of the cave of this tomb was to trap the stench, right, of a rotting body inside the tomb. And so it was custom. Lazarus would have been covered in cloth and spices and perfume to try to mask some of that, some of that smell. But it wouldn't have been able to cover up all of it completely. And so when Jesus says to roll that stone away, you have to picture Martha going, no, no, no. Like, please don't do that, Jesus. He has been in there for four days, right? This is going to be foul and disgusting and offensive. Nobody wants to see what's in there. And you have to imagine, right, this would be upsetting to watch. She just buried her brother four days ago, and she's going to watch Jesus unearth him. Like, this would be a little horrifying and traumatic if you put yourself there. But Jesus goes on. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And so they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And then that's the end of the story. Like, that's all we get. We don't get any more about what happens next, about his reunion with his sisters. We don't get to hear about what kind of life Lazarus went on to lead after this resurrection, but we do know Jesus didn't make Lazarus immortal, 
right? So he's not like a vampire. He's not Edward Cullen. <laughs> like Lazarus will die again. And I also, I have never experienced anyone coming back to life like this. I'm not saying it's not possible. I just have never seen it in my lifetime. And so what do we do with a story like this? We all have experience with death. And loss has touched our life in some way. And we all have experience with pain. We all have relationships and circumstances and realities that we cannot see an alternate ending to. We have things that we believe just will never change. They could never be different. We have things that we have buried, believing they were dead and gone, and it's beginning to to rot in us and decay. And we all have experience with pain, be it rejection or betrayal or hurt. It comes in many forms. And a lot of us have learned how to mask that pain, how to put on a smile because people don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do with your really messy sadness and your uncontrollable grief. And it's inappropriate to let yourself fall apart at the office or you stuff it down to be strong for the kids. And and then sometimes at church, we talk about silver linings and using things for good, which Jesus can do and it is true, But if our pain every single time is met with sentiment and with silver linings, we learn to mask that pain from other people. And we learn to mask it from Jesus. But this story reveals that Jesus wants to come face to face with our pain. Jesus wants to come close to it. And he's not going to dismiss it. He's not going to belittle it. He's not going to condemn us for being human in a world full of tragedy. He's not going to gloss over it and give you some trite encouragement. But he is going to sit with you in it. And he will weep with you in it. Jesus wants to come close to the parts of us that we have buried. right? That we have tucked away, that we have put in a tomb, and that we have rolled a stone over so that nobody ever has to see or deal with that really embarrassing or complicated or dark and dead thing in us. Jesus wants to be close to the stuff that we have mourned even, that we have given up on, the stuff we will look at and go, there's no hope for that. That dream, that future, that relationship, it's gone. But Jesus, he looks at whatever we have put in a tomb and he says, roll that stone away. I can bring that thing back to life, that dead, rotting, decaying thing. I can breathe new life into it. The resurrection of Lazarus, it reminds us that this is what Jesus does best. He is in the business of alternate endings that our pain and our tragedy, even death, is not the end of the story. And so how can we know that that is true for us? And it's not just true for Lazarus and his sisters. Well, Jesus also came face to face with death. He goes to the one place that no one else has conquered to demonstrate to show the lengths he is willing to go, the depth of his love for us, to secure this alternate ending, this eternal life 
that we get to have. He went as far as the grave. He had to become sin. He had to be consumed by it. He had to face the literal darkness of being separated from God, which he had never in his existence known or experienced until his death and resurrection. Jesus went as far as death and then came back to life to prove so that we would know there's nowhere he isn't willing to go. There is no amount of shame. There is no amount of darkness. There is no amount of pain that he isn't willing to carry for you that he isn't willing to be in with you, that he is willing to wade through to find you and to pull you out of. And I think if we knew that, if we believed that, well, then maybe hope would seem just a little bit more real to us. It would seem closer to us. And we could believe that there is an alternate ending to our pain and our suffering and whatever it is that we have to face today. And we would be assured, we would know we're not in it alone, but that Jesus moves in closer. He wants to be face to face in it with you. He holds it with us and he weeps with us. Jesus commanded Lazarus, he said, come out, come out and then unwrap him and let him go. And I believe that that is the invitation for us tonight, that Jesus has made resurrection and new life and alternate endings possible and available. And so roll the stone away, roll it away, dig up that thing that you have buried and put away that is rotting and decaying that you think is dead and gone and allow the grace of Jesus to do what only it can do, which is heal it and restore it and breathe new life back into it. Jesus is alive and only in him do we find real and abundant life. Only in Jesus. Paul writes, Awake, O sleeper, Rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Kindred, let's stand and let's sing.